0: there, and welcome to the 11th episode of the Drinkable Globe Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Cialetti, and this is a third of our little three-part miniseries on Geneva. And I'm thrilled to have on this episode Miriam Hendricks, who is the managing director of Ruta Distillery in Dordrecht, the Netherlands, as well as master distiller at De Kuyper Cocktails. Uh, Ruta is part of De Kuyper. I've had the chance to meet with Miriam a few times, a couple times in the Netherlands, and most recently in L.A. at the BevCon convention. And as I said, this wraps up the Geneva trilogy. Uh, next episode will be focused. On something new, but until then, enjoy this episode with Miriam Hendricks. Good to see you again. Yeah, you, yeah. great to see you. Um, <laughs> let's you know, talk about some of the stuff that you're you're doing here at BevCon. I mean, Geneva seems to be having a moment right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, as as you know, we've been um, um, our brand's been on the market now for a couple of years. Mm. Balls has been a lot longer, of course, and now some new brands uh, are interested to coming on the market. And uh, European uh, European Union mm. has uh, provided us a subsidy to go and promote Geneva in, United, in the United States. So we're uh, together with five brands. We're doing this, which I think is really cool, mm. because as much as I respect Balls for having done this 10 years ago being yeah. the first um, if you only have one product it's just one product yeah and yeah. if you have more brands it becomes a category yeah and I think that's kind of vital to make people understand what what it is
0: and, and you still got to get the the US still doesn't recognize it as an individual category at this point right and
1: exactly yes yeah, so that's this the other helped. thing yeah, yeah exactly
0: so it's still considered part of the gin category. And
1: yeah, and we have to put things on the label like either gin, uh, and if we don't want to do that, it's like grain distillate.
0: Oh, okay. And that doesn't sound th- th- very th- That sexy. doesn't <laughs> really. That doesn't.
1: Yeah, and in for example, on our Geneva, it says grain distillate with natural flavorings, and that really hurts my distiller's heart because there's no flavors in there. Oh, it's, yeah. You know, it's uh, all uh, uh, distilled botanicals. Yeah, yeah. So, but th- that's the, the, re- the reason we have to write it like that is exactly as you say, because the category is not recognized.
0: Yeah. So, so let's, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the history of Rutte. Um, let's go back to, what is it, 1872? Um, yeah. Tell us about that, about Dordrecht, that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, so in
1: 1872, Simon Rutte decided to get his own place, but he was a distiller and uh, his forefathers were also distillers. Mm. As far as we could find out, he was the fourth generation but got his money together to get his own place and then um, he uh, of course gave uh, his work over to his son etc it moved on from generation to generation uh, we are still in the same building as we uh, in the original building right in the smack middle of town this is a small town Dordrecht mm. close to Rotterdam if people know the Netherlands Rotterdam is a big harbor town yeah. one of the biggest in the world and uh, Dordrecht's quite close to there. And the Netherlands is a tiny country in Europe which is completely uh, ruled by water, by rivers. Uh, Where we are, it's even an island because the rivers are all all around us. So the rivers are vital to the country and, of course, the the seaside, as uh, this made it possible for the Dutch to travel around the whole world for centuries, um, collecting also doing some bad stuff, but also doing good stuff in the sense of uh, bringing um, uh, beautiful botanicals and fruits from all over the world to the country. So the tradition in the Netherlands to use botanicals, exotic ones and fruits from the um, citrus fruits from the Caribbean is uh, it's a long history, and all these botanicals were used in our distilled products. Um, in the ca- in the case of our town, Dordrecht, we had all these botanicals coming, but there's also like a nature reserve uh, right next door where, uh, centuries ago, the sea flooded in, that's where below sea level, and so there's this nature reserve with really special plants, so as a distiller's family, how perfect uh, to be there, oh where yeah, the trade yeah. comes in and the nature is close by. So we have a long, long history of botanical distilling. So we don't make our own alcohol mm. like a whiskey distiller does. We are more like in working, talking about working methods, we're more like a gin distiller. That means we get the botanicals in, all sorts, like, like dozens and dozens of different types of fruits and herbs and spices. And we get the alcohol in and then we start working with the botanicals. And then we distil them, we infuse them Uh, sometimes uh, one botanical in one distillate, sometimes ten botanicals in one distillate. It's an an incredible amount of variations and an incredible amount of uh, infusions and distillates and then we make lovely products out of them.
0: So how do you decide which ones are distilled and which ones are infused? Do some botanicals work better being distilled versus infused?
1: That's a great question actually because... Of course we have this one and a half century history and we have the recipe books from all this time Mm. so we have all the knowledge from them from the forefathers but we don't always know why they did something a certain way so we follow their steps but of course being curious you want to know why they chose a certain way so uh, what we do like very regularly we we test things and we we we, uh, try to analyze things so for example, uh, um, um, maybe you know the um, botanical carob.
0: Oh yeah yeah they'
1: pots that grow in the Mediterranean on trees and we always infuse them and the the infusion of carob we use like in our old Simon uh, Geneva, but mm-hmm. we use it in also in other products and it's always infused. but then I wonder how would it be if you distill it? So we tried and it was actually a really nice surprise because mm. we really got a much more fruity note when we distilled uh, the product. So then we think, oh, hang on, we can use this distillate also, like in, in other uh, applications. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Like we make uh, a seaweed Geneva. Oh, really? It's not for sale in the US. It's a local product. But we infused the seaweed. Yeah. And then we thought, let's try how it worked works if we distill it. Mm. And it was so awful. Oh. We actually had to leave the building almost. Oh my it was God. such a bad smell. So then we know, okay, so this doesn't work. But but then we keep the distillate anyway. So like in next year, if somebody asks us, can you distill seaweed? We're like, well, you know, smell this. So um, yeah, we do this all the time, trying new stuff. Yeah.
0: So it sounds like you're, you're kind of a bit of a mad scientist there going on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. If you look at the distillery, it's very small. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you look uh, within the distillery, yes, it does look like uh, I'm this crazy... Uh, uh, magician with little pots and things everywhere yeah
0: What's sort of the the history of, of Dordrecht itself like what was this what role did that play sort of in history? Yeah so
1: um, Dordrecht has been uh, a, quite a, an important harbour town and quite a rich harbour town because there was a lot of trading going on because of these rivers Yeah. and still today it's the busiest river in Europe it goes right oh, wow. along our town because all the traffic from the North Sea To Germany, Switzerland, Austria, all passes through our town. So it's a very busy town, but it lost its function when Rotterdam became a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there was at some point a train track built, and then uh, there was easy transport from uh, Rotterdam to Germany, and then Dordrecht lost its function completely. So now it's a quiet, sleepy town, but you can still see the beauty of the days before. So the harbours are very pretty, there's water everywhere, there's some beautiful houses and uh, on, along the canals and what you also see is uh, a lot of wine warehouses which is interesting because this was really a wine trading town and the distillery router started off being distillers and wine traders mm-hmm. so this was also a reason for them to choose for dordrecht and uh, interestingly enough the the wine was bought in wooden barrels and then brought to the distillery the wine was sold but then the wooden barrel was left over oh. so then they used the barrels for aging spirits
0: so, so is that wine coming from like france spain and yeah germany, like as well. germany as well germany yeah
1: most of it was uh, france and germany okay yeah and um it's interesting because the aging of geneva nowadays all dutch and belgium distillers do it but uh, in the Rutter, in the case of rutte, it's been in our DNA since the beginning because of the wine casks.
0: And um, let's talk a little bit about the evolution of uh, Geneva, the history of Geneva, the significance in Dutch culture, and uh, a little bit about—I never pronounce it right. Schiedam, is that right? Skeedum. Skeedum so Well, I'm never going to pronounce it yeah. right. So.
1: <laughs> but even uh, I'm, uh, the Dutch are known to have this. And I'm from the south and we don't speak like that. I've got a different dialect. So even for me it's difficult (laughs) to say Schiedam. So, um, yeah, so in in Rotterdam there were a lot of distillers. Uh, The whole thing of Geneva came to be like in the beginning of 17th century. Um, If you look back in the books, you can see uh, the first signs of Geneva, uh, like already in 1200 something. But... It was the use of juniper berry and it was macerated infused in wine and the reason they did it was medic, medic, um, for medicine mm-hmm. so you can't really talk about Geneva but it was the first proof of juniper being used but then you skip a couple of centuries and then the Dutch uh, with all this wine trading going on they um, started distilling wine uh, and um, the, the Dutch word for, uh, for distilled wine is brandewijn which means distilled wine, and the English word brandy comes from the Dutch word brandewijn. And then, uh, because wine was expensive and there was often political issues with the French, Mm. so uh, the Dutch then thought, you know what, let's distill what we've got here, which is grain, beer. So they decided to distill beer, so they had grain distillate, uh, which still exists as a product on its own. We call it korenwijn, Mm. which means grain wine. And then uh, they decided to add botanicals to it, and then the juniper was a logical choice as it had so many medical benefits. They thought, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, so so then the and the Dutch word for juniper is geneva best, Geneva berry, so that's where the word Geneva comes from. And ultimately, the word gin as well. Um, so then, uh, the first proof of a grain distillate with juniper berry used for recreational reasons and not for medicine was the beginning of the 17th century. And uh, this, this grain, in Dordrecht, for example, our town was already known to have the first grain distillers in town. And, um, and of, of probably because they also did the, had the wine and did the wine distilling before that. So, um, your question was? Uh-huh.
0: Oh, just, yeah, yeah just, you're, you're yeah. Just, just taking me through the history yeah. and that sort of thing. It's not, yeah, you can just go it's in yes. any direction
1: <laughs> you want. <laughs> so, um, um, so then, yeah, so then the Juniper was added and uh, so the, and then these grain, these, um, a lot of these uh, grain distillers were in the places where the grain was being traded, which was, for example, Rotterdam, was yeah. a Rotterdam. But where you distill grain, you make lots of pollution and uh, at some point all the distillers were uh, sort of kicked out of town and they moved to the side of Rotterdam which is Schiedam so Schiedam is, I mean if you talk American uh, measures you think like Schiedam is the same as Rotterdam because it's really right there on the the side I mean here in LA if you drive half an hour you're still in LA but in in the Netherlands if you drive half an hour you pass through three different towns. Well well,
0: yeah because when I was actually um, uh, when I was meeting you there this past February as a matter of fact I um, I got on the wrong train, and I ended up having to turn around in Rotterdam, and oh. it was, it was, it <laughs> yeah, was only yeah. like ten minutes, Yeah. But yeah I mean it was happened. still. <laughs> yeah.
1: So from from where we are to Dordrecht is like, yeah, it's really yeah. close by, and Schiedam is even closer to Rotterdam. But anyways, Schiedam became the center of Geneva production, and uh, Geneva became a huge export product as these Dutch people with their boats all over the world, they brought stuff home and they took in Geneva out lot to the United States but also to uh, Indonesia where we had a colony and to Africa as a matter of fact lots of Geneva went to Africa so um, uh, the the heyday of the Geneva export was the end of the 19th century and that was sort of the beginning also here in the United States of the cocktail yeah and um, around this time there was not dry gin really yet whilst dry gin, you need neutral alcohol. And the first factory in the Netherlands, um, in the UK, I don't know, but the first factory in the Netherlands to make neutral alcohol was in 1863.
0: So, so that's pretty recent then, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, uh, so then after 1863, slowly more and more neutral alcohol came on the market. At the same time, uh, Schiedam was booming with Geneva with uh, no neutral alcohol, but there was a real grainy taste. Mm-hmm. We called this base alcohol malt wine malt spirit Uh, but then this competition came with the neutral alcohol and then um, it was cheaper and it was bigger volumes and easier to make so then slowly people started buying that and using that in the recipe so then the recipe started changing in the Netherlands and the old style Geneva with the malty taste started to shift to a more neutral style of Geneva and we call the old style Old Geneva and the new style young Geneva and in the UK happened the same uh, it went from old-fashioned uh, Geneva gin kind of style with more grainy taste and neutral alcohol came and dry gin was born um, so the, the, the neutral alcohol did a lot of made a lot of changes yeah, for yeah. The, in different countries but um, Um, where in in the the UK the base with the grainy alcohol disappeared completely not in whiskey but in uh, in gin Uh, in the Netherlands we kept on making the old style and the new style and today that's still the case so we make new style Geneva and old style Geneva and the new style has very little um, malt spirit so it's more neutral and the new style uh, the old style has more malt spirits so still has this grainy base and it can be 100% malt spirit it can also be 15% that's all considered old style so um so yeah it's Gidam nowadays uh, at some point we had 400 distilleries there and now there's five mm. yeah um and in Dordrecht uh, there's uh, only one really and that's us yeah
0: yeah yeah um so as far as uh you know what everything that's been going on with whiskey and that sort of thing is that has that been advantageous for the old style of Geneva something with a little more grain flavor and that sort of thing like do you think that people who are into whiskey are will be inclined to explore the old style of Geneva sure sure yeah um,
1: um, it's interesting that um, in the we are way behind when it comes to cocktails yeah uh, if you look at the United States it's a complete different story it's catching up no places like Rotterdam and Amsterdam we've got really good cocktail bars now but that's very recent yeah and uh, so in all these years we've been making Geneva Uh, so uh, we drank it uh, neat Uh, no ice just neat and um, especially the aged varieties then have very much in common with whiskey and uh, if you age a Geneva the difference with whiskey is only the botanicals we add juniper and in the case of Rotter we add all sorts of stuff, Yeah, but there's also Geneva's on the market with just a tiny bit of juniper. So there is a lot of Geneva's where you can hardly or not taste a difference with whiskey. So yes, a whiskey drinker, uh, when he broadens his, his or her horizon, he will be inclined to try a good aged Geneva and drink it neat, yes. And now, uh, the last couple of years, when we really get into this cocktail development, which is really cool for an old distillery like ours, Mm. to see this new development. I'm really grateful for that. Um, You can also see that the aged varieties of Geneva can replace whiskey, but Geneva is a lot more than just the aged varieties. There's so many varieties and it's such a versatile um, and broad spectrum that uh, the message we would like to bring across uh, consumers and bartenders is that it's a whole new category they can explore and at the same time it's one of the most historic categories in the world which is so cool
0: yeah
1: but it's been away since like around 1900 it's the export stopped in the netherlands because of gin really
0: yeah
1: and the two world wars didn't help and, and then, um, then
0: we had prohibition so yeah and like the prohibition <laughs> didn't
1: help so there was a lot of issues going on and then just gin took over try gin yeah
0: and uh, so somebody's Somebody's visiting the Netherlands. They want to get a real sense of the Geneva experience. What are some of the best types of places beyond, you know, the newer cocktail bars that sort of thing? Where where is the like the best place to really experience um, sort of traditional Geneva drinking?
1: Hmm. Well, we have a hidden Geneva museum. Yeah, that's interesting because there they make uh, the malt spirit the way uh, they did a couple of hundred years ago. So they have the old-fashioned pot stills and they even heat them with coal still mm. which is uh, totally not done anywhere else anymore, it's not really allowed anymore yeah. but in the museum they can, so that's really nice to see and, and they've got all sorts of uh, gadgets from, and, and labels and bottles from those days so that's a really cool place to start and then of course there's a lot of distilleries like we have but also other uh, colleagues of ours that open their doors for tours so you can have a good look within the distillery and see how they do it one of the real traditional things in the netherlands is to uh, pair it with beer oh uh, yeah yeah. so we have a glass of geneva and a glass of beer and uh, the old-fashioned geneva glasses you fill quite right to the rim a little bit above it even so you get this little bulge or how would you call that in english uh, and then you you bend your head over it and you sip it out of the glass uh, and then you take the beer afterwards. Uh, we call that kopstoot, which means smack in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the right translation. but So kopstoot is, is like a nice pairing. And then uh, you have the food pairing, of course. And one of the most uh, old-fashioned traditional ones is wine with herring and corn wine as I sort of explained is still an existing product but it's like an old-fashioned Geneva with lots of grain taste and um, you shouldn't age it too much I think because Mm -hmm. then it overpowers the fish at Rutte we make two types of corn wine one uh, is only slightly aged and one much more and the slightly aged one is the best for the herring so herring is like raw pickled fish and raw fish make people quiver outside of the Netherlands for, for a long time. But since everybody eats sushi, now it's yeah. easier for people. So now if I have cats, they go like, oh yeah, this is really nice. And like 10 years ago, they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you eating raw fish? So we, we, we take the fish, uh, we, we, we grab it by its tail, and then we put it in the, in the air above our mouths, and then we eat the fish like that. And then we drink the corn right next to it. And it's a lovely pairing because the herring is very greasy. It's a very fatty fi- fish, and um, it pairs well with high uh, ABV drink like corn which is at least forty percent. And it's th- that's a nice uh, contrast in the mouth, and the flavors go really well together. So that's a really nice uh, historical uh, co- um, pairing. But then, of course, we do a lot of have l- uh, invented a lot of pairings since then. It's very nice with uh, a typical Dutch cheese. Gouda. Oh yeah, People yeah. say Gouda, but we say that's Gouda. How sp-
0: oh my god! I've yeah. been pronouncing it wrong my entire yeah. life. Gouda.
1: Well, the, the the Gouda that you. I guess
0: that makes sense yeah. because the the OU sound in in, in Dutch is not. It's ooh, out. If it were French, that exactly. would be right. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So
1: it's Gouda cheese. Wow. And then <laughs> uh, and then you can have a really young cheese with uh, uh, an old style Geneva that's not aged. Or goat cheese, for example, is really nice with the old Simon Geneva, our uh, Geneva. But if you go to a, like a 100% mold wine, uh, Geneva H, then it's nice with an old Gouda cheese. Uh, so that's really nice. Sausage is really nice. And um, sometimes uh, fish, uh, other fish or oysters can be a good pairing. So you're looking for um, stuff that has a high content of fat um, and um, and in, in taste level you have to see if it pairs so high taste level goes with a high taste level in the drink and vice versa
0: let's let's just sort of do an introductory flight if you were to recommend a flight for somebody to really kind of get to know the various styles of Geneva where would you start and where would you end how many? you know of each would you do I mean just would you start with uh, with the young Geneva and then go up to the more flavorful how would you
1: well you start with the young yeah and uh, of course there's variations in young but I would start with a traditional young one which is quite neutral with just a little bit of malt wine now there are some new Geneva's on this is interesting because the category is developing also in the Netherlands new distillers suddenly uh, uh, start and uh, they start making hybrids which is interesting because that makes the, I think that's nice it makes the mm. category more alive so there is a, a brand now that has a young style Geneva but that w- botanical wise it's a little bit direction gin and, a, and uh, in fact I will let you taste after uh, I've just developed uh, with my colleague a new, um, a new uh, Geneva where we, we, we translated an old, Tom's, old Tom recipe from 1918 oh. That we found in our own old books Which I thought was cool yeah. hundred years ago oh, wow. And we translated that into a young style Geneva yeah. So I'll let you taste that in a minute But that's like a hybrid So I would start with a young very neutral one Then maybe try one of these hybrids Then go to the old style not aged And then you have different ones uh, For example our old Simon Also the Bowles Geneva Is an old style not aged But the Bowles has more malt wine it's more grain focused mm-hmm. and the Rutter one is more botanical and grain mix focused so then I would first do the Old Simon then the balls because of the stronger grain flavor and then I would go to aged Genevers and then within the aged category for example I have the, the Borgen here uh, which is, has 20% malt wine and that 20% is aged 17 years so you can really taste the wood, but because it's 20%, it's, it's still quite mellow. And then uh, you should go to a 100% malt wine aged to get really full whiskey type of flavor. So you start with really neutral, almost like vodka, but you do taste some grain and yeah. some juniper. Then move to old style Geneva uh, and make a little escape to the uh, hybrids on the, along the way and then go to uh, old style not aged and then aged that's sort of like the flight you should do and the 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 spectrum is broader than in really in any other category i know because we can vary the botanicals like you can in gin we can vary the malt wine percentage Mm. and we have the aging possibility so the variations are endless
0: so like, what types of places um, d- do you like to drink? I mean, do you have any favorite spots at home or, or when you travel, any places that you look at, you sort of seek out when you're on the road?
1: Wow, well, that's a good question because when I'm on the road, I'm always working. So there's not a lot of time <laughs> really. Uh, I do not like like our products only been outside of the Netherlands since a couple of years so now when, when I go travel I'd, I'd love to visit those bars who are mm. having it on their menus and and see what they're doing with it uh, for example in, in Berlin you have Le Lyon uh, which is a, a great bar um, uh, and th- um, where they use our Geneva but also our celery gin and they make, uh, Jörg Meyer is the, uh, the bartender there, right. the owner, and he has the um, a Basil Smash, uh, he created oh. the Basil Smash oh, that's right. um, yeah, yeah, uh, cocktail, with basil and gin, and then he uses the celery gin in that, so that's a really lovely combination, so that's a really great place to go. And uh, yeah, a- anywhere, last time I was in London, I went to the Scarfs Bar, uh, and, and they uh, had the old Simon on the menu and I just love to see creative bartenders uh, you know working with these products and uh, I think bartenders who put Geneva on their menu is really cool because they're willing to you know put themselves out there and try something new so I, I, I love seeing that I love talking to them
0: so they're really sort of um, the kinda front lines of, of, of yeah your strategy because they're the first ones to discover it and then they, once they fall in love with it, they, they kind of consume it.
1: Exactly. Yes. That's, that's, that's our, our goal to make bartenders see it as a category. And next to the fact that they have different gins and whiskeys on the shelf, they should have different Geneva's on their shelves, not just one, because like I said, the spectrum is huge. Um, and then once they find this a natural thing to do, (laughs) then the consumer will come next. Yeah,
0: and you've you've been with Rita what fifteen years now? Yeah,
1: maybe? very good. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, very good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you, your background, uh, you're a chemist, correct? Or? Food,
1: food uh, technology, food technology, yeah, food right. engineer, yeah.
0: So, um, like, what what sorts of things were you working on before you got into distilling?
1: Well, I studied um, food engineering and I specialized in cheese. Uh, <laughs> I love the fact that milk can turn into cheese. I think that's fascinating. And even though I know exactly how it works now, I still think it's <laughs> fascinating. So I really love that technology. And I, um, so I specialize in this and I also worked in in, the, in that, this field. But uh, the Dutch dairy industry is huge. And uh, all the companies have merged together to big multinationals. And they know everything. Yeah, Every molecule within the milk has been... Tested and oh, research, wow. and <laughs> we know exactly what processes and chemical processes uh, take place when milk gets turned into cheese, and the bacteria you need for it, and the proteins, and everything that's going on. We know, um, so so that's good. But then, in uh, when I started working, and um, I started teaching in the food industry, I, I was working for an education and, and consultancy agent agency, and then. I was also, I started to work in the spirit industry as well, and there I was asking all these questions and I didn't get really clear answers. Because we're saying, why do you do it this way? And people going like, well, I don't know, we've been doing this yeah. for so long. <laughs> uh, but, but why don't you do it like this? Well, yeah, I, I will, I don't know. Or, and I thought, do they know it, but they don't want to tell? Hmm. Or do they really not know it? And there was so much vague mystery going around that fascinated me. So uh, that's when I sort of made, uh, made the choice to only be in the spirit industry. So I started to really specializing, writing about it. I wrote a book about it that's used for education in the Netherlands. Um, yeah, and then at some point I was asked to join the letter.
0: Geneva's pronounced a million different ways. There doesn't seem to be one <laughs> correct way to pronounce it. So is Geneva, like when you're, when you're, I guess when you're Anglicizing it, is Geneva the way... You pronounce it, but like if you're saying it in Dutch, how do you say it in Dutch?
1: In in Dutch Genever.
0: Geneva. Okay. So
1: Geneva sounds the best way. Some people say Jennifer, but no. Yeah, the,
0: no, I hear that, and I think that yeah, I'm then becomes sure.
1: like a girl's name, Jennifer. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like <laughs> so I've heard like Genevieve, and I'm like, that's not right.
1: Genevieve is the French. Oh, the French. Genevieve. Okay. It's, yeah. it's the French word, but the French are not real. I mean, they are part of the AOC, so we we can make Geneva in a protected area, which is Netherlands. Uh, Belgium and a little bit of France and Germany, but it's mainly Belgium and the yeah, Netherlands. Yeah. And there we say Geneva.
0: Geneva.
1: So uh, I would say the English word is Geneva.
0: But if I if I were to walk into a bar in the Netherlands, it would, I would I would probably get a little street cred if I said if I asked for a Geneva, would they be impressed? Yeah, or yeah, would they yeah, <laughs> yeah, of
1: course. But the Dutch are impressed anyhow if you if you try to pronounce even th- even if it's one word in in our language because nobody does. Yeah. all Dutch people speak English yeah I
0: know and that's probably why yeah. because you guys speak English so well yeah. like nobody even tries to speak Dutch and
1: the thing is the Dutch really enjoy speaking English and enjoy talking to tourists so but, so they, they don't even think anybody would speak Dutch but then if somebody does take uh, the time to try a few words yeah the Dutch really think that's cool yeah
0: alright yeah. well I think that should uh, just about wrap things up thank you again Miriam Hendricks for joining me um, you've I've, we've kind of met a couple times in the Netherlands we've met in New York and in I New Orleans in, yeah exactly. and yeah. now we're here in LA yeah so, so that's
1: good huh yeah we're following each other
0: around yeah, yeah. yeah. so if you a uh, couple things if you want to promote where can people find you on social media you and the company and uh,
1: the company um, is uh, called Rutte and the com. you get to the website. Mm. Um, Rutte.nl NL for the Netherlands uh, You get. You can also have the uh, English version Of the Dutch site And then you can also see how you can visit us Because in the international site uh, that information is not there So you can see everything about the tastings and workshops we do If you'd ever come to the Netherlands But you can also just look up Distillery Rutte and give us a call uh, On social media It's uh, Distillery Rutte I believe mm. uh, And then on Instagram and I also have my own account, which is Miriam Hendrix Rutte, where you can uh, meet up with me. Um, and I just started my own Rutte Miriam Instagram account, but still, <laughs> <so> <laughs> that's still new to me. But like a company, we, we are on Facebook and on Instagram, just under the name uh, Rutte Distillery. Royal Dutch Distiller, that's our company in the United States, in Miami, and they are the importer uh, of the Rutte product in the United States.
0: And, and as always, you can find me at Jeff Cialetti on Twitter and on Instagram at Drinkable Globe. And remember, the world is out there. Drink it up.